Well, it's great to have everybody here today. Pastor Pete, tomorrow vacationing, taking some rest away. Kind of. Sometimes it sends me like I was on an emergency chaplain visit last night. <laughs> that's, that's our pastor. And that's what he finds brings life and being with people in the time of negative circumstances and sometimes complete darkness. He's a great chaplain. Let me inter- reintroduce myself to some of you who may not know me. Who is this guy blabbing around? And uh, my name's Bob, and uh, I am the founding pastor of this church. And, uh, okay. <clears throat> Just see, let's see. Last time I preached, someone kind of a little shocked, like, who is that guy? And uh, I, uh, I'm now just one of the pastors, and uh, that's great in our transition. And I, I, I want to introduce my lovely wife, who must have gotten raptured, because she was, she was standing, sitting right there a second ago, and she does this to me all the time at home. And uh, famous line, famous question, where did Sue go? But... Uh, my wife, Sue, she's the, she's the good-looking lady up here in the front row. There she is walking in here. Yeah. yeah. Just want to encourage you, ladies, we have our, our website up for His Church Ministries, and uh, which is basically we're supplying tons of video teachings and stuff for the body of Christ to help churches and uh, also to come alongside churches to church plant. But uh, we do have podcasts, and I'd just like to encourage all the ladies to go to our website, and we have a podcast with Sue that I interview her. It was recorded in Puerto Rico. Uh, We were there uh, doing ministry, and a friend of mine has a studio, and we did it there. But she talks about the role and identity of a lead pastor's wife. Now, you may not be a lead pastor's wife, but I think women's function in the Church of Jesus is a big issue, okay, where women can find their place as women, and as anointed women, as women empowered by the Holy Spirit, and no one size fits all. All women, and just like all men, have diversity and differences and gifts and graces. And I think you'll find a lot of encouragement through that interview. And I want to just uh, shout out to my wife, who did a great job on that interview. I interviewed her. But, uh, but uh, I think you'll be inspired by that. I just wanted to let you know. Well, how do you get to the website? Hischurchministries.org. Okay, that's what it is. Now... Also, want to just appreciate uh, Pastor Pete and uh, also Tamar really allowing myself uh, and, and Sue to be a part of the team here at City Harvest Church. Where we, I tease Pete, don't ever say you're one of the pastors here. You're the lead guy. Okay, okay. Just I'll tell you why you know you're the lead guy. If I went off and spent ten thousand dollars of church's money, we would find out who's the lead guy. You'll be the lead guy. Okay, okay you're the lead guy. So he's. I'm one of the pastors here, so I'm a part-time pastor, and uh, we do a lot of other things in the body of Christ, and, uh, but I want to shout out especially to Pete in this because it's a rarity in the church world for the former pastor to be allowed to stay around, let alone preach once in a while, let alone have some responsibility in the church because they can you know, pose a, a threat because of criticism, or we didn't do it that way, or other people are loyal to them, you know, I am of this one, I am of that one, and you can really cause confusion and the potential of really hurting the church, and Pete's trusted me, and with his graciousness, and I'm just very grateful he's allowed me to preach today, so uh, you got a great pastor, he's a man of his word, man of character, and uh, I've walked with Pete for 26 years, so 
I mean, we have long-term, deep relationship. Now, one of my responsibilities since I'm here is uh, biblical education. So I've been asked to introduce to you today the book of James. And we're going to be starting a series on the book of James. And I'm going to be giving you an overview. Uh, I'm going to take you to school today. Everyone say to the person next year, we're going to school. Okay. This is not going to be a one-verse inspiration. I'm going to give you a five-chapter overview of this book called the book of James. And uh, I was asked to do that, and then we're going to be doing a series every Sunday on the book of James. And I thought, I thought, man, no problem. I can do that, Pete. Be more than happy. I thought this is going to be a cinch, five chapters. You know, James, pretty direct, nothing heavy, you know. And I found to be extremely challenged, and it's really, as I would say in, in the gym, it really kicked my behind. All right, but, but uh, to help you today, Two things. One, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV Bible. So how many of you kind of, you didn't bring a Bible, but you could use an NIV Bible to kind of follow along with me. I think we can pass those out. Just raise your hand. No shame. If we have back there, we have front row here. Okay, we have a few hands. They need an NIV Bible. I know Pete teaches out most of the time out of the NLT, but we do have some NIVs hanging around. So keep those hands up. The ushers are going to get to you. And you can just go to James chapter one, and you'll need to do that. I'm going to be quoting some stuff and will not be able to keep up with me, but do not worry. We also have a card here because I'm going to be breaking down a lot of things that are going to be on the overhead about this book. You're not going to be able to observe it all, me talking or keep up trying to keep notes. So we've created this card. We printed about a hundred of them, maybe one per family. So when you're studying the book of James, you could use this as a study guide, kind of see the different parts of it. So if you would like, once we get all the Bibles in everyone's hand, okay, we got one more over here. We got we got a hand, we got two hands raised, one in an NIV Bible over here, right here, right here. Well, three hands, okay. Who's counting? I am. All right, three. Okay, three hands right here. Uh, Patricia makes four. So I need four hands over here. So five. Okay. Do I hear six? Do I hear six? Seven, 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 right here. Seven, 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 eight, 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 right here, eight, eight. We got a Bible way over there. Is that you, Saul, over there? All right. Saw Saul at Mission Impossible. He's my fellow Tom Cruise fan. All right, right back over there. Bible over there, right there. Make sure we got that because you're going to raise your hand. If you want one of these cards to take home with you, that we're going we're gonna to pass those. Just raise your hand and good. Okay, so pass those down. Now, what I think we need to do, we'll be all here. Brent, I think what we need to do is just pass the cards across the road because we'll be here passing out for half my sermon. Uh, just, just pass cards down the aisle. If you don't want one, just pass it on to the person next to you so everyone can get one. So it's uh, like you're doing communion. I wouldn't compare this to communion, but, uh, but, but, but uh, pass it through and they can grab them. All right, let's, let's, get into this, uh, let's get into this book called the book of James. And so let's talk about First, as we start today, let's talk about the author, the book, and the purpose of this book. Now, this is uh, not rocket science. The author is James. That sounds pretty easy until you dive into first century persons and biographies. We have some confusion here. There are four James mentioned in the New Testament. Now, I mean, oh, no, four James mentioned in the New Testament. There is 
James, the son of Zebedee, the two Zebedee brothers. James, you know John, the apostle. Gospel of John, the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, and then his brother James, that Jesus nicknamed sons of what? Thunder. Okay, so that's James, son of Zebedee. But you also then have James the Less. I mean, poor guy, how would you like to be named James the Less? You're less. James the Less and James the son of Alphaeus. Now, some believe that James the Less and James the son of Alphaeus is the same person with two different names, and they put the two together in one. Now, we don't know a whole lot about James the Less. We do know from church tradition that he went to what you know today as the country of Iran, and what uh, was Persia in those days, planted churches. He faced his martyrdom there in what you know today as the country of Iran. And uh, so the, the, the issue, then we have the fourth James here, and that's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And we, we get introduced to this particular guy, actually in Mark 6, 3, and I'll read it to you. Isn't this the carpenter? Remember when Jesus went to his hometown? Isn't, uh, isn't this Mary's son and the brother, talking about Jesus, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't, aren't his sisters here with us? Now, and they took offense at him. He went back to his hometown. Now, the Catholic Church, because of a guy now the name of St. Jerome, they, they began to change narratives around the fourth century, think doing more veneration of Mary than, than we would give, in our view of the Bible, more honor to. And because of that, they didn't want to say that Mary had any other children after she had Jesus. So they would name these guys as his cousins, not his, not his brothers. But it doesn't fit. These were his brothers because aren't his brothers and sisters with us, but with Mary here in the hometown. And, and Mary and his brothers and sisters came to him. It's pretty clear in the gospel. And uh, James, he, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And we see that in John chapter 7. The Feast of Tabernacles is going on in Jerusalem, and his brothers came to him. And they said, come on, go show yourself. If you're the big guy, come on, it's time to make yourself known. And they said, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John says in verse 5 of John 7, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Well, how did this guy that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and said, hey, go, if you're the real thing, go show yourself now, you know, in the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, how did he become, you know, this James, this famous James? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us that, that Jesus, one of the people that Jesus appeared to in his resurrection was James, according to actually Jerome, who was a fourth century, I think maybe fifth century scholar, translated the Bible from Greek into Latin, by the way. And uh, he, he said this comment, that basically James made a vow not to drink or eat anything until Jesus would appear to him. Because obviously, if he did not believe in Jesus, the reports of Jesus being raised from the dead, James is wrestling. He's wrestling with, okay, if this is real, if my brother rose again from the dead, I'm not going to eat or drink until he appears. And according to tradition, Jesus appeared and told him, I'm, I'm here, James. I'm raised, I'm raised from the dead. Start eating. You can eat. You can eat. Now, what about this James the Less, James the son of Alphaeus? 
Most likely, it was the same person who was martyred in Persia. You know, some people don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, press in the Bible, but God knows their faithfulness. Amen? It was a great reward. He was obedient to what God called him to. He went to his martyrdom, preaching the gospel in Persia. Now, back to James. Was this James, the son of Zebedee, or the brother of John, or is this James, the brother of Jesus? Well, the problem with it being the son of Zebedee or the brother of John is this, is that he was, he was martyred under Herod in 44 AD. And so when this letter is written, James, the son of Zebedee, most likely is already in heaven. So it can't be him. Can't be James the less. He just didn't have the same notoriety to have such an authoritative letter to a whole group of people. And so we've, all the lines fall on the brother of Jesus, James. James is called James the Just because his life and the way he lived was such a life of righteousness that he was called James the Just. And some of my studies, there was even reports that he actually had physical appearances that looked a lot like Jesus in his face and his physical features. And so James was uh, quite a familiar figure, and he was honored, and he was a very, very holy and righteous man. He presided, with level of authority, he presided over what was known in Acts 15 as the, as the Jerusalem Council, trying to figure out all these Gentiles are not Jews, are all getting saved. You understand the first church was made up of Jewish believers plus nothing else. That's how it started. It spread out. What did Jesus say? He'll be my witnesses in what? Jerusalem, Judea. Okay, so we're, we're dealing with Jewish believers here. Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now we're starting to add in some people who are near us but different than us and to the uttermost part of the world, the Gentiles. When that happened, when the fourth part started happening, all sorts of doctrinal issues took place. So they had a council in Acts 15, and James oversaw that council and made the final judgment in that council of what to do with Gentile believers. He had prominence. Paul, the apostle Paul in Galatians chapter two, said that James was a pillar in the early church. So this guy's no lightweight, no light. Now, going on, because this letter was uh, does, ha, makes no mention of the destruction of the temple, makes no mention of the, the invasion of Titus in 70 AD that basically leveled Jerusalem to the ground. There, most Bible scholars believe this is an earlier letter dated somewhere around 50 AD. Now, if that is the case, which most facts lean to that, what we're reading today could be either the, the most early or the earliest letter written in the early church, or at least the second, to, and the first one would be Galatians, the early church. We do know this, that Paul's preaching his doctrine of salvation by faith at the same time, because there's an allusion to this in James in James's writings. But what we're looking at here, and this is what we get today, we get a historical view of what the earliest uh, Christian lifestyle and the earliest Christian teachings were like. To me, being a hobby historian, I get pumped about that because I think we do so much revisionism, not only in our own history in the United States, but I think we do revisionism in the body of Christ about the church and the gospel. 
We need to go back to the early church. What was it like? How many people have ever watched or heard the, the musical Hamilton? They're talking about how they made this deal behind closed doors that we have Washington, D.C. today. And they, the song is in the room where it happened, in the room where it happened, where they cut this deal between Jefferson, Madison, and, and uh, Hamilton. Okay, And, of course, it was in the room where it happened. Well, this is in the room where it happened. We're getting to see a, a living letter, most likely 20 years after Jesus rose again from the dead, to get a glimpse of what Christianity was like at the beginning of this movement we call the Christian faith. I get stoked about stuff like that. Of course, I'm a nerd, and uh, not everybody shares with me all my passions on this. They say the worst series they ever did here as a senior pastor was restoring the ancient past. Every, it, people said, oh, my God, you about killed the church on that one. There we go. This is, this is written. This is written to Jewish Christians. It starts off James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Well, what was the scattering? Most likely the scattering is the scattering that took place in Acts chapter 8 when Saul started attacking followers of the way who were Jewish but were believing that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises of a Messiah coming. And he, was, and he was persecuting the church, and they were scattered everywhere, the Bible says. And they went everywhere scattered, preaching. It actually spread the gospel. It was kind of like the early church sat on their rear end and weren't listening to the, the Great Commission going to all the world. So Jesus says, well, I got a, I got a plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this guy, Saul, anyway. He's going to write one half of the New Testament. So I might as well just use him a little bit to persecute the church to get my people moving. Because all of a sudden... Christianity changed at that point. They were scattered all over the Roman Empire. He's talking to a scattered group of people who were Jewish be believers. So, so it is also we need to understand it's Jewish in nature then. And it's written along the lines of the book of Proverbs. Have people ever done proverb devotions where you're kind of reading like Proverbs 15 or something? And you're reading, but you got like at the end of reading, it's not like, oh, I got this real great thought from Proverbs. You had like 10, 15 things thrown at you. I mean, you know, feed the poor, love your wife, you know, you know, speak truthful, don't sign, don't, don't co-sign. But well, you're, you're, it's all over the place. It's hard to say what you get out of Proverbs today. I didn't get anything. I got whacked all over the place. Well, this is the same way. It's written in that style where where it's given you a lot of statements that are not cohesively tied to the previous or the, or the, or the, the thing that's coming next in sequence. And so it has that style. It also has a lot of consistency with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me just talk a little bit about law, and I'll kind of go back to that. You know, Jesus wasn't against law. You understand that, don't you? He says, whoever keeps the least of these commandments and teaches other men to do so shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who said that? Remember Jesus? He said that. He didn't say you get off the hook, just live by faith, do whatever you want. There was commandments there. Well, we, so we hear, we hear in James some of the same things. For instance, James says about the poor, that, you know, why don't despise the poor who are rich in faith and who will inherit the kingdom? Ooh, where have I heard that before? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, it says poor in spirit. 
Only in Matthew it says poor in spirit. Luke says blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. There's a reversal. Mount Sermon on the Mount has all these reversals. So we hear kind of a thread of the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He's influenced by his brother's teachings in the book of James. Now, this is why it's been, this is why it's been um, a challenge to be a part of what we call the canon. The canon is basically what books get to be called the Word of God in the New Testament. Okay, basically that's what the canon is. And it didn't happen over like one meeting that took place in like 80 AD or something. Okay, it, it took a few centuries to nail this thing down. And James, even in the earliest church, became kind of a controversy because it wasn't Gentile enough. And it had a real emphasis, uh, real emphasis on works and deeds to show your faith. Luther, the reformer of 1517, who started what you know as the Protestant Reformation, because he had such a passion for what God had shown him that, that we are saved by faith, he called this letter a letter of straw, and he wanted it to be removed from the canon. They say, wow, I don't know if I want to ever read anything about Luther. Let's not judge people in history because they're not perfect. Okay? He wrestled with concepts like you and I wrestle with concepts, but he had a wrestling match with this particular book, but he wasn't the only person in early church history that had that issue because it, it's pretty direct about these commandments, and it has Jewish flares like the word for meeting place there is really the word synagogue, that probably when he's writing that they were still meeting in synagogues okay, throughout the Roman Empire. Now, the book is a series of, of short messages on living a consistent, moral, and obedient life. And uh, this is what this book, it's a series of messages, not just one message. Like, what's the message of James? It's got a lot of them in here. In other words, it's full of commands and warnings, and, uh, and subjects sometimes are introduced abruptly without any transition from the previous subject. So you can read this. I read through all five chapters last night before I put my head on the pillow just to kind of refresh myself and everything I was going to share today just to get the spirit of James. And it's hard because it's all over the place. It's like, man, you ever been, watched a movie that had too many, so many factors in the plot that you lost the plot? Okay, well, it's kind of like James can do that to you if you just read it all in one setting. And, uh, and it encourages, but one thing we need to understand, it encourages the readers to keep the entirety of the law, not just part of the law, the entirety of the law as far as its morality. Listen to James 2, verse 10 and 11. You got your Bibles open. James 2, verse 10 to 11. Listen to this. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You've broken the whole law. We just can't say, well, I'm a, I'm a covetous Christian. You know, I... You know, I don't, you know, no adultery. Honor my mom and my dad. I go to church on Sundays, the Lord's Day, you know. I just got covetous of me. I, I, I just have a lot of jealousy. I hate people who are successful. But man, I love Jesus. Now, James said, Bob, you, you got issues, buddy. If you broke the 10th, you broke it all. 
In fact, the tenth could be the root to a lot of the issues in the other nine. Okay, you're missing it. You know, Jesus makes this statement that always bothers a lot of people in Matthew 5, 48. He says, therefore, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So what we do with that, well, we can't be perfect. That's not what Jesus is talking about, that you're going to be, you know, sinless and, you know, there's going to be no spots on you. The issue is be committed to all the righteousness of God, even as your Father is reflected in all righteous acts. God is honest, is truthful, honors authority, honors marriage, honors the sanctity of life, honors a person's reputation. No, you shall not bear false witness means you do not slander your brother or sister, even on social media. You may not destroy someone's reputation. A good name is is better than riches, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says. You can't slander. I can't slander. So I just can't say, I'm committed to these things except this one. James says, I can't do that. I got to be committed to the entirety of the law. So there's two foundational truths. As I've studied this, and man, I've done two or three weeks of just milking in my mind and my heart and my spirit the book of James. Two foundational truths that underline the commands of this book. First is this. We must be doers, not hearers of God's word. Do not merely listen to the word, James 1.22. James 1.22. Listen to this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whew. I memorized the whole Bible. That's good. Are you doing anything in it about what you read? Well, no, I read it. Well, that's nice. I've witnessed to a lot of people. Well, I've read the Bible. <laughs> but are you committed to it? Are you committed to let it shape your lifestyle? Committed to following it? Aligning your life up with it? Don't just be a hearer. We must be doers. The second underlining command of this book, foundational, is genuine faith is demonstrated by obedient acts. Chapter 2, verse 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So let me just divert from James for a second, taking us back to the first century, what's also being written at the same time, what's also being preached at the same time. That's the wonderful man, the hero of a lot of us, and me included in that, is the Apostle Paul. He established a doctrine that the rest of Christianity has hung its hat on for the next 2,000 years. And that is this, that we are saved by faith and the work of Christ apart from the law. Now, David, excuse me, Pastor Pete played a video that I had showed at a retreat here about a month ago of Alistair Begg talking about the man in the middle cross. Okay, how how did that thief get into heaven? Because the guy in the middle cross said, I can come. All right, we are saved apart from the law. And Paul writes this in Romans 3, 21 and 22. He says, but now a righteousness of God, here it is, going to mess some of your heads up, apart from the law. I receive a righteousness from Jesus apart from keeping the law. And that is, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. 
I've broken the law to pieces. So I can't get to heaven on the basis of that. I'm already guilty, even if I start trying afresh. And Jesus paid the price for that. He paid the price for you. You are saved by your faith in Christ, the end, apart from the law. Now we say, well, then that means we can go out and do whatever we want. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's just talking about how we start, the basis of our righteousness. So Paul, what he does in establishing this, he cites the story in his book of Romans, that the story of Abraham, and he used Abraham as his example. When Abraham believed that God, God gave him a promise and God gave him a covenant concerning his descendants. And why this is so big is because for decades, he and his wife can't have any children. I mean, they are way past discouragement. They're like discouragement exponentially on steroids. Okay, they are discouraged. They can't have kids. And yet God says, hey, look up at the stars. As many stars as you can see, the thousands and millions of stars that are there, that's what your descendants out of you and Sarah's relationship are going to become. And Abraham at that point believed God. And this is what Genesis 15, 6 says, and Paul quotes it again in Romans 4. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if, how many of you believe in Jesus today and you've committed yourself to that? Just raise your hand. Come on. You're as righteous before God as you will ever be. No, no, I can, I can improve. You can improve. I can improve. But as far as a status before the justice of God, you are 100% righteous. Just say the person next to you, that's good news. That's good. That's good. But, but works are what happens when we have faith. If I have faith, it's going to turn into works. I do works because I do believe. And that's what James is saying. Because I do believe, I do works. Luther, who wrestled with James, did say this. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. We are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. In other words, if I truly have faith, it's going to turn into obedience. And so this is what, this is what James is trying to say, that I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. What I'm doing is a result of me believing. I've done a lot of radical things in my life as a Christian because I believe in Jesus. I've put myself in some very dangerous places. Remember descending into Afghanistan, into Kabul, on East India, Air, East India Airlines that was held together by masking tape. I took a deep breath and I said, Lord, let me see my children's children. I made a vow to go. God preserved me. It was kind of a wild time. But the issue is I did that because I believe. I didn't do it to get God loves me more because I did it as a result of my faith. And you have done some of the same things. So let's deal. We're kind of bringing this thing, you know, on, on understanding the book. And this is why you need this particular card. You won't be able to keep up with me. 16 main messages. Now, someone might get 12. Someone might get 18. No problem. This is just me and the way I worked with the book. 16 main messages that I see of the book of James. 
The first is the purpose of trials and our posture in those trials. We see in verse 2 and verse to verse 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many, many kinds. Now, I'd be kind of warped. I came home and Sue says, Bob, how was your day? It was horrible. what it says. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Most likely, this is persecution of their faith. Some of it's because of their, these were poor Jewish believers. They were homeless. They were vagabonds. They were scattered. And in those days, you really, not today, some days, today maybe in some parts, but people suffered under the hands of the wealthy in this time, specifically. So they were suffering a lot of persecution. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because it develops this thing called perseverance in you. And he personifies perseverance like it's a person with an agenda. He says, let perseverance have its perfect work. Now, perseverance here. Okay, here it is. I'm going to teach you a Greek word. Not that I'm a great, great Greek scholar, but here it is. I practice this one. Hupomene. Everyone say who? Who? Po. And like the French artist, Monet. Hupomene. Okay, now what? This, I'm a scholar. At least you're going to walk away. What'd you talk about? Talk about Hupomene. Hupomene is not a passive word. Like just sit and endure this thing like a tornado or hurricane blows, blowing through. It means to actually be active, pressing under continually. Come on, you're, you're left lifting heavy. You're pressing against. You're pushing the sled. You're pushing the fence. You're pushing against. You're not quitting. Pulmonary. Say to that person next to you, you got some pulmonary in you. That's what it is. And this hupomene has a work as we stretch and strive and don't bend in pressure. Okay, it has a work. We become the people that God wants us to become. We quit too early. We fail the development test. We're kind of half done, half baked. I, I hate it when I take a pancake off the grill and I bite into it and it was half cooked and I'm eating fresh dough. There's a lot of things. I can give you 50 things I don't like. Okay, that's one of them. Well, you don't want to get off the grill too fast. You're going to let God have his perfect work in that trial. Hupomene develops you into who God wants you to be. And then verse 12, James says this. He said, listen. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, verse 12, he will receive the crown of life. Wow, what do I get at the end of that? You get the crown of life. Now, everybody in this program doesn't get a trophy. Everybody in this program doesn't get a ribbon. It's only those who endure the test of life, the trial of life, who do this hypomene thing where they bear under pressure and they don't throw in the towel. Maybe you don't have a, a good game. Maybe you don't have the best attitude at times. 
Maybe you have strength and kind of go weak and you're, you're up and then you're down, but you finish. You finish well. You will receive the wreath that you finish the race. Upomene. Everyone doesn't get a ribbon. Everybody doesn't get a trophy. Second thing, this letter, out of these 16 themes, is the, in the problem with this particular trial, he talks about the revealing of our sinful heart in those trials. I mean, no, and it's true with me that I'm in a trial, some things can come out of me that are not too pretty. Anybody want a video shown of how you functioned under a trial for the church? I don't. The pressure can reveal what's going on in our heart. So James goes, hey, when you're tempted, no one should say God's tempted me. Look what you're doing. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away, here it is, by their own evil desire and enticed. The devil doesn't make me do it. God hasn't made me do it. There's something wrong with my heart. And it's in this trial, a lot of times, I could get drawn away in complaining. I can just say, throw it away. I'm going to just go get drunk. I'm going to go get loaded. I'm going to go do something destructive. I'm just going to go do something because my heart's drawn away. Trial, the trial caused that. No, my heart caused that. He says, then, after desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So James also in that says, listen, that's what happens. Your heart's going to get exposed in the trial. That's why it's so important to keep our heart clean. And then in verse 17, he says, but I don't want you to be deceived in verse 16 and 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights. In the middle of your worst trial, your worst trial, God's still good. He's still faithful, and he hasn't changed. Three is a charge we talked about as being doers of God's word. We just can't listen to sermons. We got to kind of act on them. For the description of true righteousness in verse 26, 27. It's kind of interesting what he defines as true righteousness. Tame your tongue. <laughs> Tame your tongue. That's it. Minister to those who are in distress. And keep yourself from the values of the world. There's your three right there. The tongue he'll come back to. Then he warns us, the fifth message, he warns us against favoritism. There's a lot there. But let me just read you something in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And what they were doing, they were doing favoritism. If somebody of a celebrity or VIP status came into church, they were giving them the chief seats, telling the poor, come sit at my feet or go stand over there. Don't do that. Don't do that. And he reminds us. Come on, God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit, inherit the kingdom of promise? I have one idea of what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be some people that really weren't very popular, people that really didn't like, maybe didn't even have good hygiene, that might be sitting in judgment with great authority in eternity. And it'll be like, wow, 
had the kingdom kind of mixed up a little. Theological truth is the sixth message. Theological truth of faith will be demonstrated by works. You know, in Genesis 22, 16, it's really interesting. When Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, I mean, he's received this kid by promise. God says, offer him back to me. And when he did, in obedience to God, God reaffirmed his covenant to Abraham. And he says, he said, you have faith. And God makes an oath to Abraham because you have done this. You have not withheld your only son. I will bless you. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. You see, faith and then faith demonstrated. You can't separate them. Seventh message is warning not to presume that you're a teacher of God's word. Real basic is this. If you're teaching God's word and you approach it lightly, you know, you approach it with kind of haphazard attitude. I want to preach the word. Know this, that whoever is doing what I'm doing right now is going to have a higher level of accountability and will be punished if they fail or fall short of what they're supposed to say. That's just to say, don't presume. This is part of the yoke that you're going to bear. The eighth is this, command to tame the tongue. Oh, the tongue, huh? Nothing hurts more. Nothing destroys more. Nothing divides more. Nothing resists the plan of God more than our speech. And yet, James is going to go and he's going to tell us that we're going to tame our tongues, not by, I'm going to quit saying that, I'm going to quit saying that, I'm going to quit saying that. The issue, how I tame my tongue, has changed my heart. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. We got we to gotta work on our pipes within. It's our pipes within we got to clean up. And as my pipe is getting cleaned up, my tongue is going to get cleaned up. So I don't swear anymore. Well, that's nice, but do you gossip? Do you slander? Do you criticize? Do you wound? Are you insensitive? People say, oh, I'm just being real. Yeah, you're being real mean. your tongue. Change your pipes. Then he goes on. The ninth thing is the choice, the choice between two types of wisdom in, in chapter 2, 13 to 17. He said such wisdom does not come down in verse 15 of chapter. Actually, this is a typo in your notes. It should be chapter 3, not chapter 2. I caught that this morning. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly and spiritual and demonic. So that's choice number one, sensual, earthly, demonic. Choice number two, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, so on and so forth. It's a question, where do I get my wisdom from? Then he goes on, number 10, he rebukes. He sends a rebuke out for living life as if God and eternity do not exist. He talks about wrong motives, wrong motives in prayer. You fight, you do not have because you don't ask. And then when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. You might consume it upon your own lusts. <laughs> My grandson, Whit, here a few years ago, he was on the stairs going down to the basement of my daughter Leslie's house, and he's on the steps and she's listening to this. He was, he was about four years old at this time, praying. She's listening to him pray, and he's praying this prayer. God! Make me the strongest kid in the world. 
Sometimes we pray prayers like that. Make me the best. Make me the most anointed. Make me the wealthiest. Make me the greatest influencer in our culture. <laughs> Make me. You know, I'll answer that when I start praying something decent to me. And of course, he strongly uses the word adultery of those who love the world over him. He calls it adultery. And then the 11th message is the 10, he gives 10 commands to heal a wandering heart. You want to hear just a few samples of how we heal a wandering heart? Real simple. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart. Grieve. Mourn. Wail. I don't like this. We wanted to hear what they talked like in the first part of Christianity. In other words, do some deep repentance. And he gives, he gives eight commands, eight commands, or actually 10 commands, excuse me, on how to clean up our heart. That'll be a tough sermon in the service. The next 12th message is the command not to slander another person. James 4.11 says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. In other words, you're saying that I'm opposing the law of God. Do not slander your brother. In writing, emails, to other people, online, you're opposing the law. This last week, I had somebody doesn't go to our church, but he was helping me with my fence posts. I, I have a big trial with fence posts right now in my life. Long story. Me and Clark County not getting along real well. But anyway, this guy was telling me a story about my, my, my son-in-law, Ryan, who's now in heaven, that they were in a conversation. It was more than one person. It was a group of them. It kind of got into analyzing a little bit of criticism and in the name of picking things apart and just, you know, becoming more righteous. My, my son-in-law, Ryan, just stopped the whole discussion. He says, you know what? Before we go on, can we just kind of change the tone and speak well of our brothers? How often do we not speak well of one another? Speak well of them. Do not slander your brothers. Thirteenth message is the warning against planning life while ignoring God's will. That's where it says in verse chapter 4, verse 13, he says, do not say tomorrow we're going to go do this, that, and the other. He says such boasting is of evil. You know, I, this is my business plan. Here's my two-year plan, my four-year plan, my six-year plan. This is what I'm going to become. This is our vision. City Harvest Church, we're going to do this, 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 this. Now, there's nothing wrong with dreaming. But we need to understand there's someone in control of that vision, someone in control of that plan. No, no, this is what we should say. This is in my heart. This is what I'm going to attempt. But God must decide. Then he, 14th message, he rebukes the injustice of the wealthy of that day. Now, I want to just say this. As you're reading James chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, he's actually talking about the wealth of, the wealthy of culture here. You need to understand, they were persecuting the poor, and they're withholding back wages 
when people are working for them, making them wealthy, they weren't paying them anything. They're making slaves out of people. This is a great evil. He is like an Old Testament prophet speaking to the wealthy of the empire. And, this, and like an Old Testament prophet, James says, now listen, you rich people. I'm not here to knock people with wealth and money. And God has blessed Sue and I. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. This is not light language. I mean, what a happened to loving Jesus? Yeah, this is Jesus' brother. He's not a brother from another mother. He is Jesus' brother. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Gold and silver are carotted. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I mean, really, thank you, James. That's not too nice. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, the hoarding is that they weren't acting just towards their employees. They were not acting just. They made slaves, made slaves out of workers. You know, there are products that I buy and you buy sometimes that it was from another country, made in Vietnam or made here or made there. I'm not here to pick on Vietnam. But we don't even understand that some products that we buy are actually the product of slave labor. Now, you take European Christians, they're much more sensitive to those issues than we are. And uh, I've had a lot of discussion with European Christians on that. Whole ministries dedicated to that type of fairness. But he's rebuking that hoarding that holds other people in oppression. The 15th message is the instruction of how to respond, you and I as believers, to injustice as believers. He says in chapter 5, verse 7, he said, hey, listen, be patient. Here we go again. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Well, this is almost 2,000 years ago. Be patient. Bear under this. Press against it. Don't throw in the towel. Then the 16th message that I see is the instruction to live through life with prayer and praise. He goes, are you in trouble? Pray. Some people think it's a good idea to pray when you're in trouble. Are you happy? Sing praises. Now, I think we praise should be happy, not depressed. I love you, Lord. <laughs> Lift my hands to you. No, I, I sing like one old hymn says, because I'm happy. I sing because I'm happy. If you're, if you're happy, sing. We should come into God's presence happy. I don't care what's going on. We're coming before the king of kings, the creator of the universe, the one who does everything in control, the one who's been good to us, even though things are not quite working out right in our lives. I'm coming in happy, Lord. I'm coming in half. Sing praises. You sick? Call for the elders of the church. And I told you this story probably years ago that when I first started this church. A young man came to me that I never met again. We, we didn't have this building. We had a little office in the, what you know is the chapel across the way. Down in the basement was my office. And he came in and he had cancer and he was healed. And he, and he was out from the Gig Harbor area and he went, went to a vineyard church there. And he said, the el I went to the elders every Thursday night. They anointed me with oil for weeks. Just anointed me with oil, anointed me with oil, anointed me with oil, anointed me with oil. Then one day, my doctor had me go all the way around the Puget Sound to all these different clinics to take pictures. 
He wanted me, sent me here, sent me here, and then he summoned me to his office late in the afternoon. And the doctor is just angry. He's like, what kind of vitamins were you taking? Because I don't take any vitamins. The only thing I do is I get prayer on Thursday night from our elders. He says, don't give me that. Don't give me that God stuff. He goes, that's all I've done. I haven't done anything different. Because you have no cancer in you at all. So he tells me the story and leaves. I don't even know who the kid's name was. He's probably in his mid-20s. I felt God sent him to me to put something in me that we never quit on disease. Well, I prayed, nothing happened. Well, pray again. Pray again. Pray again. Pray again. Sick, fall for the elders. Sin, if you sin, well, confess and get prayer. You might be healed. How about praying? When you pray, be like Job. Don't give up. You persevere into that thing. Be like Elijah. He prayed, he prayed, and he prayed. Then he saw a little cloud. Then he went back down, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed until there was a gully washer. That's prayer. Old school. Then James ends this letter with a, with a reminder that to turn a wandering believer back to God is to save them from death. This is an interesting way to end your letter. This is, a, this is the last two verses of this letter. Listen to this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death. Cover over multitude of sins. The end. Nice little reminder there. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, I am. Story of tradition of John the Apostle who ordained an elder in a church somewhere in Asia Minor. His older age, the elder John. This guy backslid and he joined a bunch of thieves who hung out in the high mountains and caves and stuff, a bunch of robbers. And John, according to tradition, he rode up into that area and allowed himself to get captured. The old man is brought to this cave where this ex-elder who just wandered away from the faith is there. He says to John, the apostle of love, he said, what are you doing here? He says, I came to collect on my gift, whereas I came to bring you back. And this thing called the Christian walk, man, it's way above me. I can't do it outside of the grace of God. Same as you. Stand with me. This is what I would, this would like to encourage us to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to obey all those 16 commandments. I would, I would ask you not to do that, okay? Like making a New Year's Eve resolution. But what we can do is we can posture our hearts. We can say, Lord, I, I want to make a, a fresh alignment to your will. You know, Pastor Pete's been telling us, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. The Mars emphasizes in teaching your kingdom come, your will be done. That God, I want to align my heart to yours. That's, that's easier said than done, isn't it? But I think we need to, that's how I'd approach this. As we go into this series, Lord, I'm just going to posture myself and then God, do your work.
bring it on. It might be tough, bring it on. Like getting shots in the doctor's office, they bring in that cart and you see all these needles. Oh, those things are coming inside my body. They're going to shoot me up with those. Bring it on. Bring it on. Change my heart. I'm aligning my heart to you. It won't be an overnight process. We can't surrender. Like the prayer teams, if you come on up. Maybe you need someone to agree with you. You're in a struggling place right now, facing something, or your own heart, your own journey with Jesus. You need to make a fresh posture. And I want you to, no one's judging you. I probably need to come up and get prayer. And come on, allow, allow others to pray for you to see your heart align the will of God. It's like our regulars on our right side. There's Brad, Patty. Thank you, guys. Jesus, we love you. Let's worship.